Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of 25-year-old Alicia Jackson, who was found murdered inside her Columbus, Ohio apartment on December 2, 2010. The night she was found, Alicia's boyfriend came home and found her dead. Alicia had been stabbed over 30 times. Her two-year-old son was home and found strapped in his high chair, and it's believed he witnessed his mother's brutal murder. No one knows why someone would want to kill Alicia. And 12 years later, her murder remains unsolved. This is Alicia's story. When someone is murdered and their murder goes unsolved, the people who love them are not only left with the pain of losing someone they love, they're also left with unanswered questions about why someone would kill them. There are some cases that I cover that, based on what I find about them, seem like they would have been solvable from the beginning until I dive a little deeper. Alicia's is one of those stories. Now, I believe all cases are solvable if there are enough resources poured into it. But some cases do seem to have more obvious evidence than others. When you hear about a mother being murdered in her home, it seems like the list of suspects would be short especially when that mother had no connection to anything that would explain why someone would want to murder her. But after almost 12 years and no clear evidence pointing to anyone, whoever killed Alicia has not been held accountable. Now, in recent weeks, there has been a renewed interest in Alicia's case, and with that can hopefully come some answers. Perhaps after years of silence, whoever is responsible for Alicia's murder, or anyone who may know something about her murder or murderer, might feel compelled or pressured to come forward. Ironically, I found Alicia's story a few months ago, and I knew it was a story that I wanted to tell. Unfortunately, I have a long list of stories, but when I saw the renewed attention to Alicia's murder, I knew that now would be a good time to add to the coverage about what happened to Alicia. Alicia Jackson was originally from Kentucky, and she spent most of her younger years there before her family moved to Harrisburg, right before Alicia started high school. For most teens, that would have been a nightmare, but according to Alicia's family, it didn't take her long to make friends. Alicia's father said that Alicia was a leader. He told Dateline that Alicia had a delightful manner about her from the day that she was born. Once in high school at Central Dauphin High School in Harrisburg, Alicia was an active student. Everything from homecoming queen to softball to orchestra and concert band. 
Alicia loved playing the piano and the violin, and she loved to dance. But she was also a very serious student who was always on the honor roll. Her favorite subject was math, which always amazes me because I suck at math. But Alicia, by all definition, was the all-American girl, an ambitious, well-rounded high school student who excelled both academically and socially. In 2003, Alicia graduated from high school and was accepted to The Ohio State University. And in the fall of 2003, Alicia moved to Ohio to begin her college career. Alicia had decided that she was going to major in architecture. Alicia's father, Kevin, was a mechanical engineer, and that sparked her interest in pursuing a career in architecture and planning. Alicia adjusted to college life well. She lived on campus in the dorms, and that's where she met Eugene. According to Alicia's family, Alicia and Eugene met in the dorms a couple years after Alicia started at Ohio State, and not long after meeting, they started dating. By all accounts, they seemed to have a good relationship. Kevin, Alicia's dad, told Dateline in 2018 that Eugene seemed like a good guy. He was on track academically and came from a godly family. Kevin said that these were all positive things that eased his concerns about his daughter's new boyfriend. But he was still a dad, and he told Dateline that Eugene's resume didn't stop him from asking him 50 questions. Alicia and Eugene dated for the remainder of undergrad, and they grew closer and closer to each other and each other's families. Eugene's parents lived in Akron, and so the couple would often visit with his family. Alicia's family said that she and his mother, Sarah, became really close. And for Alicia's parents, the way Eugene's family embraced her and took care of her gave them comfort, according to Kevin, Alicia's dad. In 2007, Alicia graduated from Ohio State, but she decided that she wanted to stay in Columbus to pursue her master's degree in city and regional planning. Eugene decided that he too would stay in Columbus to get his master's as well. At that point, their lives were full of so much promise, both young and ambitious, and Alicia really had so much going for herself, so much to look forward to. After deciding to stay in Columbus later that same year, Alicia found out that she was pregnant. Kevin told Dateline that he was surprised when he learned his daughter was pregnant because during a conversation with Eugene, he said that he wanted to be married before having children, which for many people is ideal, but things happen and sometimes life doesn't go exactly as planned. But both Alicia and Eugene's families were supportive of the young couple on their new journey to parenthood, and everyone was looking forward to the new addition to their families. Alicia and Eugene moved in together and got ready to welcome their son. Eugene Jeremiah Wilson IV, named after his father and affectionately called Juju, was born in July 2008. Alicia's grandmother told Penn Live in 2010 that the baby was born premature, he only weighed four pounds, and so he had to stay in the hospital for a little while. But Alicia was a dedicated mother from the start, and little Eugene began to thrive and was able to come home. After bringing her son home, Alicia settled into motherhood and graduated with her master's degree. Eugene was still in school at the time, and so Alicia began working at a nonprofit called the Community Research Partners as a research assistant, and Alicia also began serving on the board of a local YMCA. 
Alicia and Eugene, according to her family, seemed to have a normal relationship. By the time their son was born, the couple had been together for a few years, and there's nothing that indicates that they had any significant issues in their relationship. But a few months after their son was born, Alicia found out that Eugene had fathered another child, according to her cousin Shantae. Shantae told Dateline that she knows that it hurt Alicia to find out that Eugene had another child because it meant that he had been having another relationship while she was pregnant. But despite that hurt that Alicia may have felt after learning about Eugene's other child, the couple reconciled and they stayed together. Her brother, Trevin, said that over the next two years, Alicia poured herself into raising little Eugene and being the best mother that she could be to him. He told Dateline that Alicia was an excellent mother. Alicia's family was very important to her, and so she made sure to bring her son back to Harrisburg so that they could spend time together and so that her son could have a relationship with them. By 2010, Eugene was getting ready to finish school, and the couple began making plans for what they were going to do next. Eugene had started looking for work and eventually found a job in Dallas, Texas. Alicia had started to think about going with him, and so she too started to look for work of her own in Dallas. Now, there are several articles that describe Eugene as Alicia's fiancé, while others refer to him as her boyfriend. So I'm not sure if the two were actually engaged or not, but they were making plans together for the future, and so it's not unlikely that marriage was being discussed. On December 1st, 2010, Shantae told Dateline that she received a text from Alicia that said, I just wanted to let you know that I love you. Now, Shantae said that the text was kind of random, but she replied back, I love you too. It would be the last text that Shantae would ever receive from Alicia and the last time that she would speak to her. On Thursday, December 2nd, 2010, and it was a normal day for Alicia, She had to work, so she dropped her son off to the babysitter and headed to her job. According to reporting done by the Columbus Dispatch, Alicia texts Eugene that day to ask him if he had eaten the last two eggs at home, and he said that he had. Alicia was planning for meatloaf for dinner, and so she needed eggs in order to make it. No eggs meant that she was going to have to go to the store after work. So Alicia told her co-workers that she was going to need to leave work early so that she could go to the store. Alicia left work later that afternoon, and she headed over to the babysitter to pick up her son. She told the babysitter that she was going to be stopping at the store before she went home. And so Alicia and her son left, and they stopped by a local store to buy a dozen of eggs before heading home. Now, according to the reporting by the Columbus Dispatch, Alicia and her son arrived home at around 5.30 p.m. Once they got home, Alicia got the toddler settled down and strapped him into his high chair so that she could prepare dinner. She turned on the cartoons for him so that he would be entertained while she put together the meatloaf. And after putting the meatloaf in the oven and putting a pot of water on the stove to boil, Alicia then pulled out some paperwork and some bills and put them on the table, presumably to get some work done while dinner cooked and while her son watched cartoons. Now, Eugene wasn't home yet. He was, of course, still finishing up classes for his master's, and he had had plans to meet with a student group that evening. At 5.53 p.m. that evening, Alicia's mom texted her to check in. 
She asked Alicia how she was doing, and Alicia replied right back and said, fine, how are you? Three minutes later, Alicia's mother responded, but this time, Alicia didn't text back. Around 9 p.m. that evening, Eugene arrived home. He entered the apartment that he shared with Alicia and found a gruesome scene. Inside the apartment was his son, still strapped to his high chair, and Alicia dead on the couch. The apartment was covered in blood, and the meatloaf that Alicia had made for dinner was still in the oven, and the water on the stove was boiling. Shortly after 9 p.m., Eugene called 911. He told the 911 operator that he came home and found their back door open and Alicia dead on the couch. The call is described by the Columbus Dispatch and says that Eugene was emotional on the call, begging for paramedics to hurry. He told the 911 operator that Alicia had been stabbed in the head, chest, and neck. Please, please hurry, he said. Oh my God, oh my God, Eugene is heard saying on the call. Eugene can be heard attempting CPR and trying to comfort his son who was crying. But it was too late for Alicia. She was dead. The detective who arrived on the scene afterwards said that it was the most gruesome crime scene he had ever seen. The only good thing was that little Eugene was not physically hurt. But based on where he was in his high chair, they were pretty sure that he had witnessed what had happened. He was perhaps only spared because he was too young to be a reliable witness. It was clear based on the crime scene and the number of wounds visible on Alicia's body that this was no random crime. Someone was mad at Alicia, and all signs pointed to a crime of pure rage. But who hated Alicia enough to brutally murder her in front of her son? Everyone who knew Alicia said everybody loved her. She had no known enemies. However, someone hated her enough to stab her 30 times. The problem was, no one knew who or why. I have to tell you about an amazing new service I've found called FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it super easy and affordable to frame your favorite things, from art prints and posters to travel photos sitting on your phone. With Mother's Day around the corner, FrameBridge also makes the perfect gift. In fact, select gifts ship next day. Here's how it works. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at just $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, my listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use my code GIRLGONE. Order online at framebridge.com or stop by a FrameBridge store to work with a designer in person if you're in New York, DC, Atlanta, Philly, Boston, or Chicago. 
I love how easy it was to upload my pictures and select my frame. I have so many pictures of my kids in my phone, and thanks to FrameBridge, I can finally do something with them. Get started today. Frame your photo or send someone the perfect gift. Go to FrameBridge.com and use code GIRLGONE to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to FrameBridge.com and use promo code GIRLGONE. That's FrameBridge.com, promo code GIRLGONE. So if you shop for the groceries for your home, then you know that finding all your grocery items in one place at an affordable price is almost impossible now. But with Thrive Market, I get everything I need and so much more. With Thrive Market, you can shop everything from healthy pantry essentials and sustainable meat and seafood to non-toxic cleaning and beauty products, all delivered right to your door. And if you find a price lower elsewhere, Thrive Market will match it. Thrive Market carefully vets each and every item so you can trust that if they sell it, it's probably the highest quality available. Finding everything you need is easy on Thrive Market because you can filter by 90 plus values and lifestyles to find what works for you. Shop by what you eat and what matters most to you. With over 5,000 food, home, and beauty products, finding what you need is easy with Thrive Market. So if you're looking for plant-based, keto, gluten-free, zero-waste, BIPOC-owned brands, Thrive Market has you covered. I love the selection that Thrive offers, and it gives me a wide selection of healthy choices for me and my family. When you join Thrive Market, you're joining a community of 1 million plus members and sponsoring a family in need. And with their fast and free carbon neutral shipping, you're also bettering our planet. Can your grocery store do that? Join Thrive Market today to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $40. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash girlgone to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $40. That's thrivemarket.com slash girlgone. thrivemarket.com slash girlgone. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On December 2nd, 2010, 25-year-old Alicia Jackson was found stabbed to death in her apartment in Columbus, Ohio. Alicia's boyfriend came home and found her dead on the couch, and their two-year-old son was strapped into his high chair. The dinner that she had prepared for that night was still in the oven, and the back door was open. When investigators arrived at the apartment to process the scene, one of the detectives said that it was one of the most gruesome crime scenes that he had seen in all of his years as a cop. Alicia had been stabbed over 30 times in her head, her face, and her neck. As police began to process the scene, they found blood all over the home, including the bathroom, the front door, the back door, and the back stoop. The samples of the blood were collected so that they could be tested. And within hours, the police brought in dogs to see if they could try to track the killer's movements. But 
The dogs were only able to trace someone to the other side of the building before losing the scent. Inside Alicia's apartment, investigators discovered that two laptops and Alicia's cell phone were missing. The theory that this may have been a robbery was only briefly explored because the rest of the crime scene didn't fit into that theory. Yes, the laptops and phone were gone, but the cords for the laptops were still there. Also, Alicia's purse was there in plain sight, but it wasn't taken. Investigators believe that the electronics were taken for one of two reasons. Either they contained evidence that could ID the killer, or they wanted to make it look like it was a robbery. There was no signs of forced entry either. So police began to theorize that Alicia knew her killer and had let them into her apartment. There was no sign of a struggle either. It didn't appear that Alicia had fought back, and investigators believed that she was possibly attacked from behind when she turned her back on her killer. There were things like a TV and a fish tank that were all near the door and that would have more likely than not been knocked over if a fight had taken place or if Alicia had opened the door and immediately been attacked. Investigators interviewed Alicia's neighbors, but none of them had heard or saw anything. No one recalled hearing anything strange coming from Alicia's apartment that night. That night, after Alicia had been found, her father, Kevin, got a call from Sarah, Eugene's mom. She was calling to deliver the news that his beloved Alicia was dead. But not just dead, brutally murdered. Kevin told Dateline that he was stunned when Sarah told him what happened. He was standing in his kitchen, and he could not imagine what could have caused something like that to happen to someone like Alicia. Her entire family was devastated. At just 25 years old, Alicia was gone. It was the last thing that anyone expected to have to deal with. Alicia was living a normal life, working, raising her son, a college graduate with a master's degree. She had done everything right. And now her life was over. She was brutally murdered, and not one person close to her could understand why. After his mother was found brutally murdered, little Eugene was temporarily placed in child protective services. Alicia's boyfriend went to Akron to stay with his parents while his apartment was being processed as a crime scene. And from there, he was going to file for temporary custody to get his son back. Alicia's family was devastated. And when they learned that Alicia's son had been left in the home with his mother's body after witnessing her murder... It was a devastating revelation, but everyone was happy that the monster who killed Alicia had at least spared her son. Reports state that police were never able to interview her son because the family believed that it would be too traumatizing for him after what he experienced, and the likelihood of him being able to give much information was was slim. Over the next eight days, investigators processed the crime scene at Alicia's apartment, collecting evidence like shoe prints and fingerprints from inside and outside the apartment. Now, there were no surveillance cameras around where Alicia lived, and so they weren't able to get any valuable information from any camera footage. 
It was becoming clearer and clearer, however, that this was not a random crime and that someone who knew Alicia planned to kill her. Police questioned the people in Alicia's life, including Eugene. But aside from there seeming to be a lack of motive on Eugene's behalf, he had a rock-solid alibi. Several people, including his professors and fellow students, recall seeing or being with Eugene around the time that the murder was committed. And so, pretty quickly, Eugene was ruled out as a suspect. In a case like this, the intimate partner is usually the first suspect, but Eugene was crossed off the list pretty early on in the investigation. Investigators also spoke to other people in Alicia's life, most of whom were cooperative and agreed to submit to lie detector tests. However, according to reports, there were some people who refused to participate in a lie detector test. Now, from the beginning of this investigation, detectives were having trouble finding any evidence. In a crime scene so bloody, they hoped that the killer had left behind some clues. But as the results from the lab started to come back, detectives realized that the killer had not left behind anything. All of the blood found in the home belonged to Alicia, and none of the fingerprints found were able to be matched to any viable suspect. Without any physical evidence and no eyewitnesses, investigators found themselves with a lot of questions and very few answers. They had spoken to people who knew Alicia, but no one could imagine why someone would want to do this to her. The autopsy revealed that the wounds on Alicia were deep and indicated that whoever had killed her was filled with rage. The wounds to her face had proven that this was about hate. Someone hated Alicia, and they wanted her to suffer. Investigators and her family believed that whoever it was was someone that Alicia didn't think would harm her, or else she wouldn't have allowed them into her home. I mean, think about it. If you were home alone with your two-year-old and someone you knew meant you harm knocked on your door, would you open it and then turn your back to let them in? Most people would not, and nobody believed that Alicia would either. So not only did police believe that Alicia knew whoever killed her, they didn't believe that she was concerned that they would hurt her. A week after Alicia was murdered, her family held her funeral in Harrisburg. A lot of people attended the service to celebrate Alicia's life, including Eugene and his family. They had an open casket, but they had to cover it with a net because of the stab wounds on Alicia's face. Once Alicia was laid to rest, the fight to find her killer was in full effect for her family. But the journey would be a lot harder and take way longer than they had hoped. Alicia's murder was not going to be easy to solve, and the police quickly ran out of leads. But detectives had determined that the killer was smart and that they were prepared. They may have been fueled by pure, unadulterated hatred and rage, but they were careful and they were calculated. Over the next several months, investigators continued to search for leads and speak to people, but they were unable to find any evidence or anyone willing to talk about what happened. In 2011, a year after Alicia was murdered, her father sat down and spoke to WNS10 in Columbus. He told the reporter interviewing him that day that the only thing that he wanted 
was justice for his daughter. When you have something like this happen to somebody so close to you, uh, the desire for vengeance is, is always something you're tempted with. I don't think it's hard to imagine wanting vengeance when someone murders your child in cold blood. But the need for justice is something that never goes away when a life is stolen like Alicia's was. Nothing can bring her back, but not knowing why she was taken meant that her family can't move on. In 2012, detectives working on the case spoke to the Columbus Dispatch, and they told them that they believed that they had developed a psychological profile of the killer. Based on the brutality of the crime, the rage involved, the choice of weapon, and the fact that most of the wounds were to the face, it told police that this was not just rage, but a jealous rage, and they believed that the killer was a woman. The detective said that the stab wounds to the face show the killer's desire to disfigure Alicia, and that even though less than 3% of homicides are women killing women, he believed that this was one of those cases. As the detectives put their theory together, they began to believe that whoever killed Alicia was someone from Eugene's past. But who that was was someone police have not publicly identified. Investigators say the woman was from Eugene's past, but they also believe it was someone Alicia knew and was comfortable enough to open the door to. It was also someone who knew where Alicia and Eugene lived, so she wasn't that far in the past, if all of those things are true. Now, throughout the investigation, police said that there were several people of interest, but none of them were ever named publicly. Alicia's case remained open for the next several years, but no new information came in or out publicly about Alicia's case, and it wasn't long before her case went completely cold. After Alicia's murder, Eugene and their son moved to Dallas. Alicia's family would see him during the summer for a few weeks. Not nearly enough time, but better than nothing, because... He was, and still is, after all, their only connection to Alicia. Despite the brutality of Alicia's murder and the fact that police believe that this was a rare case of a woman killing another woman, her case never received much attention. Alicia's story is a story that would have benefited from that national attention. The person who murdered Alicia or people who knew something may have felt pressured by that media attention. Like many stories, Alicia's was slowly forgotten by the local media. And for a while, no new articles or stories came out about Alicia's death or the investigation. Her family, however, was not going to give up. They tried hard to keep Alicia's memory alive and to try to find her killer. They wanted to be able to tell her son one day that they had done everything that they could to bring his mother's killer to justice. In 2018, Alicia's family spoke to Dateline as part of their cold case spotlight. It was the first time that a national news organization featured Alicia's case. The attention, however, didn't bring any new information to the case, and so Alicia's case remained cold. After 2018, the articles about Alicia all stopped again, and 
Not even the local media in Ohio was talking about Alicia's murder. And then in April of this year, People.com featured an article about Alicia's murder. Almost 12 years after Alicia was found dead, the popular magazine featured her story. And over the past several weeks, multiple local news outlets have also featured Alicia's story. As part of the media's newfound interest in Alicia's murder, they also featured a high school in Mason, Ohio, that was trying to help solve Alicia's case. After years of no one talking about Alicia's murder, it seems like people are finally starting to give this story the attention that it deserves. Alicia's family spoke to local news organizations about the renewed attention. Despite the lack of media attention Alicia had received and the fact that the investigation into her death had stalled, the people who loved Alicia were still fighting to find out what had happened to her. A couple of weeks ago, Alicia's cousin Shantae and her brother Trevin spoke to WNS10 in Columbus, and they said this about Alicia. She had a very pure spirit and was a pure soul. Like, you can look at her and see her shine from the inside out rather than outside in, even though her outside matched her inner beauty. People revise history when someone's gone in order to paint them in a better light. But ask a hundred people about Alicia, and a hundred people are going to tell her that she had a good tell you that she had a good heart. After all of this time, their hope was that the renewed attention will help bring them the answers that they've been unable to get for almost twelve years. I am determined that anything that I can do to bring someone to justice, justice that I will, and to me, that gives me hope. But Alicia's more than a story. We're just hoping that this story that gets put out somehow finds the needle that we're looking for that's in the haystack somewhere. Alicia is more than just a story. But the story of what happened to her should be told until her killer is brought to justice. No family should have to constantly relive the worst thing that happened to them. But they should also not have to go 12-plus years without having the justice that they deserve. Alicia Jackson was a young mother, a daughter, and a sister who was stabbed to death in her apartment, the home that she shared with her son and her boyfriend. Alicia had done everything right. She had got her education, had a career, and was planning to marry her son's father. So the fact that someone would murder her this way is not only heartbreaking, it's almost unbelievable. The question of why someone would murder Alicia is just as much a mystery as the who. Investigators working this case say that they have exhausted every lead and interviewed everyone they could be interviewed. But they have gone 12 years and found nothing. They said recently that things will remain that way until someone comes forward. The theory that Alicia was murdered by a woman remains just that, a theory. Investigators still are not sure who killed Alicia or whether that person was a male or a female. No murder weapon was ever found, and the evidence collected yielded nothing. The fact that Alicia's story is now getting renewed attention means that this is a perfect time to make sure that people hear her story. Someone knows what happened to Alicia. Somebody remembers seeing something or hearing something, and 
they could be the key to unlocking this mystery and bringing justice to Alicia's family. Murdering a mother in front of her child and then leaving them there is a special kind of evil. What kind of monster sees a child in a high chair and then still decides to murder their mother in front of them? No one deserves that. Alicia did not deserve that. Alicia would be in her late 30s by now. She would have been here to raise her son, who is now a young teen, and who's had to live his life without her. Alicia's son and the rest of her family deserve to know who killed her and why. They deserve to know who was responsible for their nightmare, and they deserve to know the reason behind it. Alicia was murdered on December 2nd, 2010 in Columbus, Ohio. Alicia was stabbed to death. Investigators believe that whoever killed Alicia was someone known to her and may possibly be a woman. If you have any information about Alicia's murder, please contact the Columbus, Ohio Police Department. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. It also helps our show grow. As always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.